Well, we are, um, we're headed, uh, as we continue into John chapter 6 here, we're, um, we're kind of in the thick of and kind of headed into uh, some very intense parts of Scripture, uh, but some really fun parts of Scripture too, very challenging, uh, very thought-provoking, uh, and ultimately, even as I was praying for the Lawlers and thinking about uh, Tim, uh, ultimately this set of Scriptures, this uh, this monologue of Jesus's is going to be very reassuring for us, very deeply encouraging for us. Uh, and these, this set of scriptures, John chapter 6, is really hard to break up, uh, so it's going to probably be another, probably at least a couple weeks, maybe three weeks that we're going to take to get through all of it. It's a long chapter anyway, but, uh, but the themes, there's just so many themes that are embedded in other themes, and so to extract all of them is a little challenging. So even today, we're going to skip over a few verses and come back to them next week. And uh, it's tough to, when you look at a whole chapter or a whole section uh, of, of one particular uh, monologue or teaching. Uh, you go, how am I going to do this even in two weeks or three weeks? And so, uh, so we'll have patiently uh, walk through this uh, chapter six here. Um, but I, I thought about this uh, as I was going through the, this section here. Uh, every, every Thursday, every Tuesday and Thursday, we have baseball practice. And uh, Thursday nights, uh, we go out to um, Mission Sports Park in, um, in uh, San Marcos. And uh, we just have an awesome time. We have these uh, different kids that are out there uh, from, uh, from our baseball team. And uh, we go from four to seven. And at the end, after practice, uh, it's become kind of our customary thing now that uh, whoever wants to go... Uh, we go to In-N-Out, and we have a fight club. And uh, so it's kind of become our tradition, and, uh, and we just love showing up there, and we just we eat outdoors, and we uh, just enjoy this kind of extended time. Uh, then usually afterwards, they come back to the house and play some wiffle ball, and it just ends up being this like 4 to 10 o'clock kind of a thing. Uh, it's a very full Thursday. But this little point in, uh, where we get to have this fight club, uh, which usually three or four different boys, plus my son, that usually ends up coming to older boys, uh, just becomes this really favorite thing. And, and after a four to seven practice, uh, you leave there pretty hungry, especially these teenage boys. And so we get there, and they're usually talking, you know, uh, before we were about to leave, they're saying, oh, coach, I'm so hungry. I can't wait for In-N-Out. Can't wait for In-N-Out. And we get there. And last uh, Thursday, I remember we sat down, and, um, and I, uh, I prayed for our food. And then right before taking that bite, I, I, I knew what was coming. I knew that I was going to be satisfied. And I said, and the boys, before I could even take my bite, they'd already, you know, they're already kind of gobbling down their burger. And, I, and they were already going, mmm, you know. And before I took, them the, took the bite, I said to the boys, like, isn't In-N-Out just so satisfying? And they're going, oh, yes, coach, definitely, coach. And, but we, we, we were actually, you know, we were saying how it always just hits the spot, especially after a three-hour practice. It just hits the spot. Now, we all have those meals for us, those satisfying meals, those favorite meals. Uh, kids, what, what, what's, your, what's your favorite meal? What's your favorite food? You guys have one? What is it? Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. All right. Man of my own heart right there. Cheeseburger. What else? What else is your, what, what always is just like, that's the best meal? A lettuce wrap. The exact opposite of a cheeseburger. <laughs> so... So here, here's the crazy thing, though, right, is, I mean, we have so many different things, almost even opposites, right? Lettuce wrap, cheeseburger, In-N-Out, uh, might be pizza, might be, there's so many different things that become sort of this, this satisfying meal for us that just always hits the spot for us. 
And, and that is the case because we're so diverse, because we're so different, we have all of these different things that sort of we go after. And for all of us, whether it's a, a long baseball practice or whatever it might be, and even for us, Thursday, we have this great meal, and yet by morning, we're hungry again. We're, we're not satisfied. That thing that was so satisfying doesn't satisfy us the next day. It doesn't last into the next day. For some of these boys, they're wanting to go get another double-double before we even leave. That's how unsatisfying the first one was. But for all of us, by the next day or by a few hours later, that amazing meal that was so good in the moment just doesn't, doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy and in today's text, our attention is going to go back to the miraculous way that Jesus satisfied the hunger of the people when he fed thousands of people with fish and bread. But more than that, in today, he's going to tell them that there's even a more satisfying bread, a more satisfying meal that satisfies for even eternity. And this meal also comes from heaven, but it's not physical bread. It's something different. Bread that will satisfy our longing souls for all eternity. So let me pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into truth this morning as we open up his word. Father, we do thank you that you've um, brought us to this place. You brought us to, to hear your word. And we do pray that your word wouldn't just be something that we understand logically we acknowledge but we want it also to go into our hearts that it would transform us we don't want to be like the disciples who are in the boat as your word said they, they saw the miracle of the bread but their hearts were hardened they didn't quite understand it we want to see your word hear your word know your word but also understand it with spiritual eyes not just understand it theologically, logically, but it would truly transform us, that your word would satisfy us. So help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you lead us into truth this morning? It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So John chapter 6, verse 25. It says, when they found him on the other side, remember he'd gone from the feeding of the, uh, the, the multitude, going now to the north part of the Sea of Galilee, when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? He'd just walked on water in the middle of the night. He doesn't actually answer the question, but he answers them saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal." Then they said to him, well, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? And what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. We'll stop there, but we're going to keep going a little bit later. Now, verse 30 seems a little odd, right? They say, well, what sign do you do? What work are you going to perform? You're kind of going, did you not just see the feeding? What do you mean, what work do I do? But the thing is, is that Jesus has claimed to be greater than Moses. 
He's claimed to be better than Moses, and Moses gave them manna every single day. That's what they're saying there. Well, what sign do you do? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. So they're saying 40 years, six days a week, that's impressive. I mean, we saw that whole little magic show you did yesterday, but that's nothing compared to Moses. And you said you're bigger than Moses, so what are you gonna do? Besides that, Moses led us out of captivity. So what do you got for us? What do you, if, you're, if you're truly bigger than Moses, what do you got for us? See, they're looking for a Messiah even to, like Moses who delivered them from Egypt, they're looking for a Messiah that's gonna deliver them from Rome. They're looking for a, a kingly, military-style leader who's gonna usher in a, a physical kingdom. They want him, and this is what he refers to, you, you follow me because you had your fill of the loaves. You've been physically satisfied. That's why you're following me. They want a Messiah that's gonna lead them into physical blessing, to, to feed them every single day, to deliver them from oppression, to conquer our enemies, fix our problems, overthrow Rome. But he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the sign, you understood the sign, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, because you were temporarily, physically satisfied because you got what you wanted. They saw without actually seeing. They saw, they, they understood, oh, miraculous bread from heaven, great. But they didn't see the point. They enjoyed the blessing of the miracle, but didn't see where it truly came from, what it signified, the sign. They saw, but they didn't understand. They missed the point of what this miraculous feeding was pointing towards. And even as I prayed, the disciples in the boat, God's word says that they didn't even understand the whole instance with the bread because their hearts were hardened. They saw it, but they didn't understand where it was coming from. But they sure did enjoy the meal. I thought it was pretty cool that Jesus did that and they got their fill, but they couldn't quite understand. People are quite willing to believe in Jesus when he gives them what they want physically, but when he does not give them what they want when he disappoints them with how he provides or does not provide for them, then they look elsewhere to other gods, other idols that can give them what it is that they want. When God does not provide over here, they will find another idol, another lowercase g God that they can go and chase after that will give them what it is that they want. And so these people here, they don't really want the giver of the gift, they just want the gift itself. Jesus knows they don't really want him. They just want what he can do for them. That's why they want him. But will they follow him as their Lord, as their actual leader, or just do they just want to enjoy his gifts? Will they follow him even when it leads not to physical blessing, when he leads them through difficulty, through trial, through the storms, through the sea, or will they only follow him when they give him what they want, when he fills their bellies? Will they follow a Lord who calls them even to die to self? And so now Jesus is gonna explain the sign here, starting in verse 32. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, very emphatically, he's saying, truly, truly, listen up. I'm gonna tell you, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. In other words, he's starting off to say, hey, just so you guys know, you've got it kind of wrong in the first place. Moses was just a man. 
Moses, he can't provide bread from heaven, not one meal, let alone 40 years worth, six days a week for about two and a half million people. You know, that's 31 billion meals. 31 billion meals was provided, roughly, was provided for the Hebrews as they wandered through the desert 40 years, six days a week. They saved on, um, they saved for the Sabbath. That's why it was provided six days um, a week. So really, actually, it was seven days a week worth of meals. So it was over 31 billion. And so he's saying, you really think Moses provided 31 billion meals? No, he didn't do that. My father did that. Moses was just a facilitator. But my father's the one who provided 31 billion meals for his people. So Jesus wants to clarify that this is something only God can do. And so verse 33, for the bread of God, he's saying now, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Physical bread that comes down from heaven gives temporary physical life. It gave these people life for 40 years. But the true bread from God, what Jesus calls it, the true bread from God, that this physical and temporal bread is symbolic of, because it's the point is not this bread, this manna, or even the bread from the day before, but the true bread from God gives spiritual and eternal life to the world. And that bread from God is he who comes down from heaven. It's not manna. It's not this bread that came the day before. There's a different bread that also comes down from heaven that satisfies spiritually and for all eternity, not physically and not temporarily for a few hours until the next meal or the next day. But there's another bread that comes down from heaven that is from God. So in verse 34, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. We want that bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And now we see really for the first official time, we covered this last week, but now we see this phrase again, I am. They would recognize, especially this time of the year during Passover, the first of seven I am statements where Jesus is saying who he is, but he's also naming himself, I am, I am who I am. And he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you don't believe. You see me, but you don't really see me. You understand who I am. You know my name is Jesus. You've seen the miracles I do, but you don't, you don't see me. You don't really understand who I am. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. We're going to cover a lot of that next week. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In 41 through 47, they're going to kind of Grumble a bit. We'll cover this also next week, so I'm going to skip down to verse 48 for right now. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Not the next day. They were sustained for the next day, but eventually, in their old age, they died. 
even though they ate physical bread from heaven, from my Father, but eventually still, even though it was miraculous bread from heaven, but they still died because it was just physical bread and it only sustained them physically and temporarily, but they still eventually died. And so verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. This is so much greater than any kind of physical blessing that you can possibly get, any kind of material comfort that you can possibly get. Even the gifts of God are great gifts of God, your family, your friends, your job, your home. These are great gifts of God, but eventually these things provided for you cannot sustain you for eternity. They can't fulfill you spiritually. You will always be dissatisfied with some aspect of even the greatest physical blessings of God. They're not meant to satisfy you permanently. You're meant to enjoy them, give God thanks for them, but ultimately they're supposed to to fix your eyes upon the giver of the gift. But instead we circle around the gift and we worship the gift rather than the giver of the gift. And those things, these great gifts of God that have been given to each and every one of you, you're meant to enjoy them, whether it's a cheeseburger or a lettuce wrap or in and out We're meant to enjoy these great gifts of God. And it's okay that they satisfy us temporarily, but only if we expect them to only satisfy us temporarily. But when we start looking to these things to be the center of our life, and we elevate these things, and they become our goal to bring us some kind of long-term satisfaction, some kind of comfort, some kind of peace, some kind of hope, whether it's, a, whether it's people or some kind of material material belonging, now we've taken these good things of God and made them into to God things. They become gods. But Jesus says in verse 51, I am the living bread. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the, uh, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now this is some crazy talk right here especially for the Jews who were forbidden to even have blood still in their meat. They had to always eat their steaks well done, which I'm not a well done guy, so I'm like, that's a bummer. (laughs) But they had to always eat well done steaks. They were forbidden. So now here's this teacher of Israel saying, the bread that I give is my flesh. For one, they're going, ew. (laughs) But then secondly, they're going, "This this is really offensive, even religiously. Not only does it kind of churn your stomach a bit, but it's also religiously, it's unclean. It sounds like cannibalism, but clearly Jesus is speaking metaphorically, but even the metaphor, they don't quite understand. And instead of clarifying, Jesus actually doubles down and he kind of gets even more uh, in depth here. In verse 53, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, listen up. I say this to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As a living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. I live because I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, and whoever feeds on me is also in me now, and he also will live. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Still, miraculous bread from heaven, from God. 
But even that is not the best. They still died. But whoever eats on this bread, and I imagine that we don't know, I imagine he was even pointing to himself, this bread, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. It's quite a radical message. Very offensive message. First of all, he offends them just by saying, you want something greater than Moses? That's me. I'm greater than Moses. Moses couldn't even bring down bread from heaven. He needed my father's help to do that. Oh, and by the way, it is my father. My father and I, we're one. I mean, so he is just, he's, he's offending them left and right. And that bread, though, even though my father provided it, the people still eventually died. So you want someone greater than Moses? I won't just bring you bread to feast on like he did. I am your bread. I'm your bread. I'm not just going to give you bread like I did yesterday or like Moses did. You want bread for 40 years and still die? That's not good enough. I've got something better for you. I am your bread. I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. And he's declaring who he is. I am who I am. I have life in myself. I am the bread of life. It's not manna from Moses. It's not physical bread and fish from heaven even. Just like he had done the day before. None of those things, he's saying to them, none of those things can sustain you and heal you and save you. Even after 31 billion meals, the next day you're still going to be hungry. You will still not be satisfied. You can have more and more and more and more and you will still not be satisfied. You will still die. You want something better than Moses? Better than 31 billion meals from heaven? Better than life itself even? Then come to me. You want something better than anything this life can offer? Even things from heaven that come down that are offered to this life? Good things from above. You want something better than that? Then come to me. Come to me because I am the bread of life. I'm not only greater than Moses, but I'm even greater and more satisfying than 31 billion meals from heaven. I'm far more satisfying than that. I'm far more powerful than that. 31 billion meals from heaven has nothing on what I have to offer you. Jesus is saying, I'm not only the greater Moses, but I'm the greater manna. I'm better than that stuff. You know, it's no coincidence that Jesus comes from a town called Bethlehem, which is actually called the house of bread. That's where he's from. Now, how do we feed on this, on this bread? How do we feed on his flesh, as he says? Let's remember also some symbolism. This is in your notes. You can kind of look at these. Just looking at these, uh, these similarities. Manna came from heaven. Jesus came from heaven. Manna is easily accessible. See, manna comes to you, right? They didn't have to like go to some mountaintop to find manna. Like it just dropped right out their door. The manna came down. Jesus also is easily accessible. He came down. Doesn't make us earn our way to the top. No, he comes down. Manna is available daily. Jesus is available daily. Manna comes at no cost. Jesus comes at no cost. Manna, w without it, the people perish. Jesus, without it, the people perish. But here's where it changes. 
Manna only gives temporary satisfaction. Jesus gives eternal satisfaction. For manna, those who eat eventually will still die, but with Jesus, those who eat will never die. And every morning when you wake up, you have a choice, church. You can go out and receive the manna that has fallen right at your doorstep. You can gather it up and you can eat it, or you can choose not to. Now, if you were in the wilderness and you chose not to, you would starve. But you can go aimlessly search for other things out in the wilderness. And just like us, we can either wake with this manna that drops to our floor and we can take in the bread of Jesus Christ or we can start looking for other things, other things that we think might give us life. Remember when Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness by the devil. He had severe hunger in the desert. I'm sure he would have loved some manna about then or maybe some In-N-Out or a lettuce wrap, something like that. I'm sure anything would have hit the spot for him right now. And he was tempted by the devil just to create this manna, so to speak, to, to feed him. But even when tempted to bring down bread from heaven himself, instead he reminded himself in Matthew 4, 4, he said, no, it is written in the word of God, it's written Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We don't live off of bread alone, manna alone, physical things, even great blessings miraculously given from above. We don't live on those things alone. We don't live off of our family alone, our friends alone, our jobs, our money, our hobbies alone. No, those things cannot satisfy. They can't sustain us. But we ought to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He reminds himself, even in his own place of being tempted, that we live off of the word of God. That it is the word of God that actually sustains us. It's no coincidence also, not only that Jesus comes from the house of bread, but that he is actually called the word, the bread, so to speak, made flesh. Right? If God's word is our daily bread and he's the word made flesh, he's... Basically, the the bread made flesh. And that bread, when that bread came from heaven, it was broken. It was broken on the cross. So what must we do with this broken bread? How do we metaphorically eat of this broken bread from heaven? The metaphor is essentially revealed in Verse 40, and a little bit in 28. Verse 40 says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's kind of his little decoder key right there. This eating, this ingesting of the bread, saying anyone who looks upon the Son and believes in him Going back to verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, here's the work of God. You want to know the work of God? You want to know how to work for God? He says, here's how you do it. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. That's the work of God. It's not trying to attain some stature of religiosity, some level of holiness, 
some perfect attendance record of church, memorizing as many scriptures. And those, I mean, those things in themselves are not bad things. But the work of God is to believe in him whom God has sent, the bread from heaven. Look upon him and believe in him because he is the bread of life. He was the one who was broken upon the cross. And those who look upon him and believe truly that he is the Messiah, he is the one that the Father has sent and set his seal upon, as Jesus says. He's the Savior. He's the bread of life. When we believe in him and his sustaining work, his satisfying work, we feast upon him. We feast upon his word, his his truth, his promises, and we take him into our hearts as we feast upon his words and his promises. But like the Hebrews in the wilderness, even though this daily bread is available to us, we must still, by faith, gather it up and feast upon it. We have to learn to depend on it each and every day. We have to see him, Jesus, as the greater manna, the true bread that we need for true satisfaction, for true sustaining power, for true life, for true joy and fulfillment and true filling of our hearts, our minds, our spiritual appetites. But often we miss the point just like the Jews did. We look to Jesus not to be the one who satisfies us with himself and, and, and knowing him, but we look to him to simply be the one to give us the things that will bring us satisfaction. See, sometimes I think we get it clouded. We, we look to Jesus to not be our satisfaction, but to give us things that become our satisfaction. Right? Well, you're God. Bring me these things so I can be satisfied. And he's like, I, I am the one who satisfies. Um, I've shared this a little bit over the years. This is something that really radically hit me about four years ago. Um, as I've mentioned off and on over the years, just my, my own battle with depression. And um, a lot of times uh, I realized this about four years ago, that I was doing this very thing. Um, in the midst of these times when I would just really be fighting, battling, um, I would often seek out the Lord to get me out of it. Lord, would you just deliver me? Bring me out of this. And that, that's not a bad prayer at all. That's a good prayer. But that's all I wanted. That's all I was seeking. Rather than actually seeking to find him in the midst of it, I just wanted him to get me out of it. And I realized this about four years ago. And it, it just it hit me. I can still pray that God would get me out of it. That's a fine prayer. But in the meantime, I, would, I need to also say, but God, if not now, if not soon, help me to find you, that you would be my satisfaction in the midst of this dark time. That I would seek and savor you for who you are, not just the gifts you give or your ability to get me out of something, but I'd find you even right now that I'd give you thanks and praise even right now, that I would learn to lean into you right now, not just only when you get me through something. And that changed the way that I, I pursue him. It changed the way I even fight. I've learned more to, to cling to him as my bread of life. And I don't do it perfectly at all. But I know now that I can. 
My goal so often was just to get out of it, to get through it, not to actually find him in it, but just to find a way out. I, I wasn't believing that, that he could actually satisfy me in the midst of something like that. Rather, I wanted him to give me something that would satisfy me. And that's, you know, a clear mind, the cloudiness, to, the darkness to lift. Lord, if you would just give me that, then I could be satisfied. But I, I learned, I've learned more. I'm still learning. I know it here now, but sometimes it's hard for me to follow here. I'm learning that even in that dark time, even in that cloudiness, I can still feast on him to be the bread of life. Not just waiting for him to give me some other kind of bread in the meantime to satisfy me. And I think of all the things that we complain about, because really complaining and complaints, I think, reveal our idolatry. Think about the things that you complain about. Might be your kids or lack of peace in the home. These days, these last six months, I've seen a ton of complaining all over the place from COVID and masks and, you know, Zoom fatigue and uh, government and politics and rights and anything that's uncomfortable. And you've got your kind of normal everyday things like traffic, whatever it is, anything that's unfavorable for my life that I don't like, I'm going to complain about. And especially when you can find other people who like to complain about the same things, now you're building your Tower of Babel. Now you're building your little altar together to gather around and worship, make your own little world, and you kind of find like-minded people that like to complain about the same things. Now you've got your own little religion, your little cult of worshiping this one God, this thing, this thing that if we have this together, then we'll be truly satisfied. Our idols have been on display these last few months, more than ever, I think. And we expect God to do a greater miracle to provide us for something we can put our hope in. God, if you would only just give us this thing that we're complaining about, make it go away, then we could be really satisfied. Then we could have peace. It's ironic, I think, that we often pray for God to give us idols. I think we often, I know that I often pray for God to give me idols to worship. Lord, get me through this thing. Get me through this little bout of depression. Give me peace and, 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 and uh, clear minds. And again, not a bad thing, but we're asking him to give me something. But maybe he wants to give me something else in that moment. But I've got this thing that I've got my sight set on that if I have this, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. So maybe it's money or comfort or, or friendships, companionship. Favorable political outcomes, a certain change of pace for our environment. Maybe it's to bring us around the sea instead of through the sea. Because God, then, then if you provide for me in that way, then I could really be content. Then I would be satisfied. And he's like, don't you know who you're talking to? I am the bread of life. I am your satisfaction. I can actually satisfy you in the midst of all this. Your complaining can stop, actually, because I can satisfy you if you just come to me. But, but I, you know, I, I know that, Lord, but, but that's just not enough. I need this, too. Uh, at one of our uh, In-N-Out Fight Clubs, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I, I, I walked them through. Remember those, that list of questions that was at the end of the sermon from maybe three weeks ago? 
Uh, I kind of just rattled off a few off the top of my head, um, asking these different boys different things. And you know, what's the most important thing to you? What do you most hope is in your future? What do you fear losing? Uh, and of course, the answers was you know, baseball, family, friends, acceptance, uh, what's in your future, hopefully uh, my own family, a good job, good career. Obviously, great things, great manna from heaven, gifts from God above. And after the end of you know, maybe 30 minutes of this, I said, all right, boys, I'm going to ask you this one question that succinctly puts all these things into one question. I said, what do you worship? And uh, a couple of these boys are from uh, church background homes, and they just were like, oh. One boy goes, coach, I know what the answer should be, but that's going to sound pretty foolish after the last 30 minutes of what I said it actually is. I said, I think you're right. See, we say all these things. Here's all the stuff that we talk about, think about, daydream about, that we think of the first thing we wake up. It's what we think about when we're going to bed. But then if you ask you, what do you worship? You go, oh, Jesus. Really? I mean, the last 40 minutes, it seems like it's everything but Jesus. And so we talked about that. And then the next week, we came back and said, all right, boys, based off of last week, I've got another question for you. I said, what will it take? What gets in the way of making Jesus your goal, the center and one boy, very honestly, just said, Coach, it's, it's material things. It's, it's stuff. You know, it's the stuff that's... And he said, without my promptings, we didn't even go here yet. He goes, other things just give me instant gratification. Video games, family, friends, just like right then. And I said, so in a sense, what you're saying is, by the time you get around to Jesus or whatever, I mean, your heart's full. You've got no more room. You've filled yourself with... I didn't say this part. I'm saying this now to you. You've filled your hearts with, with manna already, right? You've, you've, you've taken in all the great gifts of God, and now you've got no more room for the true bread of life. And so as I talk through that, that idea of just being full, being satisfied on, on, on junk food, he, he agreed. C.S. Lewis says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong. It's not that we have too strong of a desire for, for in and out and lettuce wraps and stuff. That's not the problem. That's not the problem. But actually, our desires are, are too weak. We, we settle on in and out and money and comfort. It's not that our, our, we have too strong of a desire for these things that draw our hearts. It's that we, we give up so easy. We give up so easy, like, oh, yeah, that's enough. Like, really? That's just one burger. That's satisfying? That's worth giving your life over? It's just a little bit of money? A nicer home? Like, that, that really? That's it? That's what you're living after? So he's saying it's not that it's too strong. Oh, this thing's strong. It's, way. it's that we just give in so easy to small things. We're half-hearted creatures. We're fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is actually offered to us. Infinite joy, I'll take this. I'll take, the, I'll take the parting gift instead. Infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't even imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday, a vacation at, the, at sea, going on this great vacation. No, I just, I kind of like making mud pies just over here. This is great. You want to go on some amazing European vacation? No, I like making mud pies. So it's not that we have such strong desires for sinful things. It's that we just give up so easily. Yeah, a little raise. Oh, that's satisfying. Oh, having the acceptance of a few friends. Yeah, that, that's, that's totally worth my life, giving my life over for that. He says we are far too easily pleased. 
All those things will eventually leave you unsatisfied, even miraculous bread from heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A couple chapters later, he says, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever uh, forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world, 31 billion meals, and yet forfeit your soul? What would a man give in return for his soul? You can get the desired outcome of your life, the job, the education, baseball, scholarship, you name it, all these things. But if you don't feast upon the bread of life, you gain physical life, Few great memories, but you're spiritually empty. In your notes, there's a quote from James Boyce. He asked this question. Is he, is Jesus, the bread of life, is he as real or useful for you as a hamburger and french fries or a lettuce wrap? Is he as useful to you as those things? Think about that. Is Jesus as useful to you as the food you eat? I say this because even though he's obviously far more real and useful than these, we, we know that in our heads. Well, yeah, he's more useful than that. The unfortunate thing is that for many people, he is much less. So how do we, how do we get there? How do we have that kind of belief? How do we have that kind of belief? We don't put our hope in the temporal. We, we feast upon the daily bread of the word made flesh. We feast upon his word so that we might know him. We take him into our hearts. I was uh, texting with one of my baseball players a couple weeks ago. We were having some pretty long, in-depth conversations, and more so than we'd ever had. It was kind of some cool like breakthrough, a lot of gospel conversation, uh, getting really specific, very deep into this, this kid's heart. And I asked him at one point, I said, hey, what's, what's changed? What's, what's happening with you right now? What's going on? Like something really has changed in the last few days. I said, we've texted more in the last three days than we have in three years. What's going on? He goes, well, it's just deep conversation. I said, well, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm the same like, nosy coach as I've always been. I've known you for three years. Like, why are you now all of a sudden letting me be nosy? And uh, I said, I, I haven't really changed, but something's changing in you. And uh, he said, well, it's just... It's the conversations. It's, it's what we're talking about. I said, okay. I said, I said, let me ask you something. Do you feel like in the last three days you've gotten to know me a lot more? And he said, oh, yeah, definitely, coach. I said, do you, do you, do you think like because of our conversations you, you, you trust me a bit more? He goes, oh, yeah, for sure, coach. I said, would you even say maybe you, you, you love me a little more? You want to hang out with me even a little more? And he's like, yeah. And I'm going, now, this isn't about me, actually. So I said, I want to paint a picture here for you. I said, the reason why all these things are happening for you towards me is because in these last couple of nights, you've been reading really what is my word, my, my heart via text message, words that are coming out of my mind through my fingers, but these things come from my heart. So the more you get to know my heart, the more you get to know my words, well, you, you want to actually hang out with me a little bit more. You want to talk to me a bit more. You actually trust me a bit more. You know me more. And I told him, I said, so, so here's the deal. If you want to truly know God more, trust him more, love him more, 
build up a desire to be with him more, you have to know his word. If you don't, if you don't know his word, then why would you fall more in love with him? Why, how, if you don't feast upon his word, why would you trust him more and love him more? Right? If you don't talk to your friends, you can't love them more and trust them more. They're just the same friend as they were a year ago. You won't love them anymore. You have to actually engage in conversation and get to know the words that come from their hearts. That's what actually builds trust and love and care and consideration and the desire to be with them. It's when you know their heart, which comes out in the form of words. And this is what was happening with him. I said, so, Steve, let me tell you, I, I know you're saying you, you want to have more of God. You're at the beginning of some kind of change that he was acknowledging that had to do with his faith. I said, if you want that to keep going, you have to know his word. Otherwise, he'll be the same God that you don't really know next week and next month and next year. If something's going to change, you have to get to know him more, and it's through his word. It's through that daily bread. And so for us, we have to feast on his word. If we want to cultivate a hunger for him, a desire for him, to spend more time with him, to love him more, trust him more, to have him be the center, we can't just, just hope it just happens. No, we have to take in his word into our hearts, feasting upon his word. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, Jeremiah says this, your words, speaking to God, your words were found, and I ate them. I found your words. They were on my doorstep. When I walked out, there was manna on the ground. And guess what? I ate them. I didn't look to other things. No, I ate the word. And your words became to me. That word became tells me that before they were not this. They became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Before he ate the words, they were not a joy and delight. The word didn't change. The word's always been there. The man is always there. It's there for you every single day, church. But unless we step out each day in our morning and say, there's the word, there's the man, I'm going to take this in, now it becomes a joy and a delight, whereas it wasn't before that. But it's when we actually take in the word, it becomes we build an appetite for the word of God, for the bread of life. So come to Jesus the bread of life, come to him. In your weakness, in your selfishness, if you're feeling spiritually empty, spiritually phony, if you're hypocritical, you don't know where to start, like this boy I was texting with, he's like, I'm at the beginning, I don't really know how to, where to go. I said, well look, it's, it's, it's by getting to know Jesus through his word, taking in his word. Humbly come to him and confess your spiritual hunger, your spiritual starvation. He is the bread of life, he can satisfy you. Not just today and tomorrow, but your whole life, even for eternity. Look upon him. Jesus, whom God has sent to you, sent to save you from spiritual starvation. Look upon him and believe. I'll close with these couple of scriptures from Revelation and pray. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. And Revelation closes the end of the book and the end of the word of God. And keep in mind, this is the same John who wrote Revelation that wrote John, the gospel we're going through. John says, and he, Jesus, said to me, it is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha 
and the omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty, even to the hungry, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to come to you as empty, spiritually starving, unsatisfied. We want to acknowledge that we are unsatisfied, that we are clamoring, complaining, chasing after temporal relief, temporal satisfaction, thinking that Somehow they will truly bring us real joy, real happiness, real satisfaction. We're putting a lot of stock in a lot of temporary things. And it comes out in our complaints, in our, the time we spend in our calendars, in our wallets. We, we see where our, our value lays. Give us the desire Open our eyes to see, to not just see that you provide bread from heaven, but that you are bread from heaven. Help us to see that and believe truly that you are the bread of life. We thank you, Lord, for your great mercy, your patience towards us, your loving kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.